Welcome to the Economics Explained podcast. I'm your host, Gene Tunney. There are currently around 7.7 billion people in the world. The UN is projecting that global population will increase to 9.7 billion by 2050 and to nearly 11 billion by 2100. Obviously, this population growth raises a range of economic, social and environmental challenges. That said, the rate of global population growth is declining. From 1950 to 1980, the world population grew at nearly 2% per annum. It's currently growing at just over 1%, and between 2050 and 2100, is projected to only be growing at 0.2% per annum. Collectively, the population of developed economies is projected to decline over the rest of the century. The global population growth we see will be concentrated in emerging economies, particularly those in sub-Saharan Africa. For instance, Nigeria's population is projected to more than triple by 2100 from around 200 million today to 733 million in 2100. Some developed economies such as Australia, the US and the UK are projected to grow due to higher rates of immigration or fertility than other developed economies. But many developed economies will experience declining populations due to a combination of low fertility and immigration rates. Countries projected to have declining populations over the rest of the century include Germany, Japan, Russia and China. As a result of China's slowing population growth, growth which will turn negative in the next few decades. India is expected to overtake China as the world's most populous nation in the 2020s. In this episode, I talk about these global population trends with my good friend Tim Hughes from Urban Ergo. Tim's a Brisbane-based businessman making his second appearance on Economics Explained. From our regular conversations, I know that Tim is very interested in global population issues so I thought he'd be a great person to chat with further about the UN projections and the issues arising from them. Please check out the show notes where I link to the resources I mention in this episode. I also clarify some of the information and figures that I use. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Tim Hughes, welcome back to the podcast. Gene Tony, thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure. Tim, just the other day in, of all places, the gym, we were having a conversation about global population and what the growth of global population meant uh, for the future. Now, I'd like to um, explore those issues on today's podcast And I thought the way we could do it is that we can flip it and instead of me asking questions to to you, you could ask me some questions. How about that? Sounds good because I think you'll have a better chance at answering them (laughs) than I will. But yeah, it sounds good. (laughs) Very good. Okay, so if you would like to kick off with uh, some questions uh, on the pertinent issues, uh, that would be great. Yeah, sure. So this I know has um, it has a history. We've, we've spoken about it um, briefly before, uh, and I guess I was intrigued um, because world population is ever expanding, and it's a concern that the planet isn't getting any bigger. 
um, we're doing a lot of damage already. And so with the projected growth um, of population, I remember you saying at some point that it was expected to level out at around 10 billion. And I was intrigued to see how, if, or what the rationale was to sort of um, have it leveled out at 10 billion and what stops it going, uh, you know, just keep, keep on continuing until potentially catastrophic levels. Sure. Look, that's a really good question, Tim. So the 10 billion, so that was one of the projections I remembered because I used to look at these data a lot when I was in the Treasury. Okay. So we were doing our own analysis of Australia's growing population and we were also looking at what's happening internationally because we think we're growing fast and we're going to eventually get to 40-plus million people. But then you've got – you know, countries in the region which are, you know, growing at, you know, much faster rates. They've got fertil- high, very high fertility rates and their populations are, you know, just some of these Pacific islands and uh, I think Papua New Guinea is going to, it's growing at a massive rate and its population is going to double, I think. And so um, what's going on is that uh, the developed economy, so all the richer countries, they've gotten so wealthy that their fertility rates have started declining. So poorer countries, in poorer countries, parents, t- uh, families have children as a form of insurance policy. Okay. And so what you see through history is this thing called the demographic transition where countries, their fertility rates decline over time. Now, I'll just give you a flavour for you know, what's happening in uh, 1950, so just after the war, we had global population at around two and a half billion people or so. Okay. And then we had- <coughs> So this ve- after the Second World War, yeah? After the Second World War. Okay. Then we had very rapid growth in those 30 or so years after the, the war. So this is the baby boom, is that right? That's the baby boom. Okay. That's correct. And it's in. it happened in Western economies. It happened in the advanced economies. In Australia, back in the early 60s, we had a fertility rate of around three and a bit children per woman. So the average woman was having three point, so I think it was 3.1 or something children. Uh, and uh, like it's just extraordinary to think and now it's about 1.8. So it's actually yeah. below the replacement rate in, in Australia. Yeah. The replacement rate is typically... 2.1 because you need more than two children for every woman to replace the population to allow for those children that you know, so it's taken into account um, a partner of of the woman is that right is that why it's 1.8 like as a declining population so oh yeah well there are so many women who just have one child or they only have uh, or they don't have any children at all hmm. and so Whereas historically, in Western societies, the majority of women, well, you know, vast majority of women would have been married and uh, had children. Okay, so I better go back because we were talking about the post-war era and that's what happened in advanced economies. We had the baby boom and in the developing economies, uh, so in, you know, Africa and large parts of Asia, in the poorer countries, what you had was people living longer And, you know, the agricultural productivity increasing so much that you can support a larger population. So what we had was this thing called the Green Revolution, whereby 
we were, you know, applied, uh, you know, more intensive agricultural techniques, uh, better use of uh, fertilizers, and that was yeah. became more widespread throughout the developing world, and that meant we had that that supported the population boom in the developing world. So this is where we've had a lot of the growth in historically. It, we so we had a baby boom in Western countries, but then we had this huge growth in the rest of the world in the developing economies because we had both the, this agricultural revolution, this green revolution, I mean, that supported more people and also increases in longevity because we didn't have as much child mortality. Yeah, okay. We had, you know, vaccinations, <clears throat> public health programs that have, yeah. that have meant people have lived longer. And so what we had was the global population growing from, well, effectively doubling from the end of the Second World War to the 1980s when it was around 5 billion people. It got to 5 billion people. And now it's uh, at 7 point, uh, I think 7.7, 7.8. Billion. I'll put it's the. It's pretty quick, isn't it? I mean, like it's 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 really like yes, you know, it, yeah. Throughout, throughout millennia, or like throughout the human species, and uh, sort of you know being on this planet, like it's a massive acceleration towards these uh, higher numbers. So this is what we talk. This is where we need to talk about what's different now, and what's different now is the fact that we are the masters of the land. We are able to, you know, we are able to grow so much food to feed people yeah. and we are able to uh, cure all these diseases or prevent them from happening. I mean, diseases that used, used to wipe out, you know, a, well, a third of the population, the Black Death, for example, yeah, right. in, the, in the 14th century. Or, uh, I mean, smallpox and, uh, or, you know, awful diseases like polio and things like that. We've got much better at, at controlling and preventing those diseases. Yeah. And wars, like um, um, no conflict. Oh, exactly, exactly. So what we had historically was uh, because agricultural productivity was much lower and we also had more disease, what you'd have is that uh, the population was kept in check by just the fact that you couldn't feed enough people or there'd be you know conflict yeah. or there'd be disease. And that was uh, – this is what Malthus was talking about. I don't know, I don't know if you – Heard about Reverend Malthus, who is a famous, uh, no, he's a well-known English uh, economist. So economists talk about him all the time because you're what the he only was- economist I know, Gene, I, I, <laughs> which I'm always. That's why I'm always fascinated by this stuff. This, yeah. I'm like, it's it's uh, it's all new to me. So yes, please. Go okay, on. okay. Yeah. So what Malthus argued was that the world's in a lot of trouble because whenever you get like a favorable harvest or something or you know you te- or there's some sort of um boost in the living standards maybe you find a lot of gold or something and you know you're yeah. able to sustain temporarily sustain a larger population people people are wealthier they have more children the the problem is uh your population can can grow and it can grow geometrically so it can grow at an at a sort of, a, well, he's, I think he called it geometrically, but let's say exponentially, so it can grow at a percentage yeah. rate. So we know that if if something grows at, say, uh, let's say 3% per year, it will double in, you know, maybe 20 to 25 years. Yep. Which, is, which is pretty much what's been happening, is that right? Is that Well, that's happened that's in the past, to, but it's yeah. not happening now. So global population growth has slowed yeah. down. So... What we're seeing 
is that uh, while the population doubled from the end of the Second World War to the 1980s, since the 80s, it's, it's, it has been slowing down the growth of the population. So now we're at 7.7 or yeah, 7.7 billion in 2019, according to the UN projections. So what I'm drawing on are the comprehensive set of population projections produced by the UN yeah. that, that study all of the demographic data from all of the different countries around the world. And so, as you can appreciate, I mean, there's a lot going on with with demography, uh, with population. There's the fertility rates and there's your longevity and also between countries there's migration. So there's a, there's a whole lot of things going on. But what we're finding, what, what the UN is projecting, I think it's a reasonable projection, is that we'll probably see this growth, this declining growth, continue and we'll see a plateauing of the population. So when I was looking at these figures many years ago in the Treasury, we knew the, the projection was that it would plateau around $10 billion by 2050 and then stay there. Yeah. But now what the UN's done is that they've projected out to 2100. And so they're now projecting that it will get to 10.9 billion by 2100. But between 2050, okay. where it gets to 9.7 billion and 2100, it's only going to be going up by 1 billion or so. Whereas, you yeah. know, that's a relatively slow gr- rate of growth. <clears throat> if you think in, you know, the, the years after the war, so say 40 years after the Second World War, yeah, you added massive. two and a half billion, yeah. and now here, now from twenty fifty to twenty one hundred, you're only going to add a bit over a billion. So the rate of growth has slowed, and they they note these these projections. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty in here because so much depends on what happens with those fertility rates. So they're basically projecting that fertility rates in many of these developing or emerging economies in Asia, in Africa particularly in Africa because that's where the bulk of the population growth is going to be occurring, okay. that those, pop, those fertility rates are going to decline. And so eventually we'll get to a situation where the global fertility... So, can I, so this is where I'm intrigued. Like, um, Sorry to interrupt you, but so what um, would be... The, what is it, at what point will those um, rates decline and what would be the drivers to... To push that decline in uh, in the rate, because I'm imagining it like, well, it's. I'm, I just want to make it clear that we're not making any political comment about this. This is purely um, a conversation on on the population of the planet and and seeing it as a very practical sort of thing. So we're not going to be making any political commentary or anything like that. Just in case anyone in over there was wondering, <laughs> but. So with that, with the drivers that might um, push the decline in uh, these emerging countries or the, the, the growing nations like Africa, um, China, I'd like to... Well, China's no longer growing, but well, we, we'll thing, cover that in a moment. Yeah, because yeah. so that's another point I want to go to. So if we stick with the China, uh, sorry, with the Africa question first, what would happen for, for those, you know, what are the drivers for those rates to, to start to fall? And what can we imagine... Uh, Africa will be like at that point. Like, is that breaking point? Is it, you know? Well, look, I mean, you know, potentially because so the population of sub Saharan Africa is currently a bit over 1 billion people. Yeah. The UN's projecting that by 2050 that will be 2 billion. 
by 2100, 3.7, 3.8 billion. And some countries, such as Nigeria, are just going to experience – I mean, I think Nigeria is going to triple or quadruple in size. I mean, I can put the the actual figures in the show notes. Um, Oh, yes, Nigeria, 200 million people in 2019. 2050, we expect 401 million. 2100, 733 million. So, look, that's going to impose a lot of challenges for that uh, that country, that yeah. government, delivering services to the population, managing their environment. Feeding everybody. Oh, ex- yeah. well, look, I mean, but this is the whole Malthusian uh Argument or the Malthusian trap. I mean, if you can't feed everyone, then you don't end up with these, yeah, these populations, these these the size of the population. So that can provide some sort of constraint on your, yeah, your future population growth. But so far, we we have been able to, and that's been what's remarkable that we have managed to get to seven and a half or almost nearly eight billion people. Even though, I mean, you remember the seventies. I mean, I vey. I remember growing up in the 80s. I was very young in the 70s, then. <laughs> I know, yeah, sorry. <laughs> but you, the the whole thing about the Club of Rome and the projections of declining resources and yeah. everyone was terrified of we'd run out of everything, oil, we'd, we'd run out of yeah. uh, coal, I don't know, whatever, whatever we're going to run out of and we couldn't feed everyone and there's going to be mass starvation. Paul Ehrlich talked about the population bomb. Yeah. And there was that general feeling of crisis, but what's managed? What we've managed to do somehow is that we've managed to grow to seven point, you know, seven point eight billion people, and you know, we haven't had largely, you know, we've avoided the mass starvation. At the same time, we have placed a lot of pressure on the global environment, and certain and- parts of the world have. Uh, experienced famine and and terrible circumstances on a reasonably regular basis, and and um, I mean, I guess that's part of the part of the question. Looking to that ten billion or you know eleven billion in twenty one hundred, you know what's um and I, I guess this is the crux of it. What's a sustainable what's a sustainable um, population um, look like, and how you know. With those outer reaches of population, where basically, you know, one of the one of the reasons that that would stay that way is that it's not possible to feed more people. So you can imagine that if we get to that point, there's going to be a lot of people struggling. You know, at those, oh, exactly. uh, those higher levels of uh, of population. You know, so how? Uh, and again, like it's a massive um, it's a massive conversation to have. But you know, as good citizens of the planet, you know, how can we foresee that and, and sort of plan for it and be sustainable with keeping as many people on the planet as happy and healthy as possible? Oh, look, absolutely. That, I mean, look, there's, there's so much to explore there. I mean, you know, clearly we need to have the right policy settings uh, at a, well, governments globally have to set the right policies. I mean, we need to respond to climate change as a globe. We need leadership on that from the major countries that currently we we aren't really you know we aren't having that so uh you know that makes it a real challenge with uh the what's sustainable i mean who knows i mean i don't think anyone you can't model it the the global economy glo- our society our food production systems are, they're so complex. I mean, I, I can't see how you could model it and say this is a sustainable population. And 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 how are you going to manage it anyway? I mean, you could be like China and say, 
well, you can only have one child, but we well, don't want that on a globe. Yeah, we yeah. don't want that, right? I mean, well, that's a that's a totalitarian way to do it. It's an inter- I mean, it is, and it's, it sounds crazy, but um, but it is that thing of like, well, is that you know, in in a free society, it's very difficult to imagine something like that from the state saying you can only have one child. I mean, that's you know, exactly. it, it's very hard for most of us to sort of um, accept that. So it's interesting to see, um, and I'm I'm intrigued by. Uh, the falling uh, rates in Western countries. So you're saying, and I, I need I need to get my head around this one. So if we can just um, talk about the 1.8 um, in children. Australia, yeah, yeah. So uh, so we're saying per woman because the woman has the children, obviously, and so we're not getting into um, you know uh, domestic situations of who's married and who's not married, etc. But is that 1.8 including a partner, which is makes, makes it a declining rate? You know, what I mean, like, so if it was to say the same, I imagine if uh, if a woman had one child, then she'd be replacing herself, and that would be that would be a, a level right. You know, so it's not growing, but it stays the same. Am I way off here? No, I'm just trying to understand what you're saying. I mean, basically, same. it's <laughs> basically you're, you're looking at say every woman, and you're basically saying that because the population is roughly fifty fifty female male, right? And you'd say let's. Theoretically, say every you could match one female to one male. Yeah, so, then, so we're expecting, um, you know, in, in childbirth that um, there needs to be two people for it to stay level. So anything, exactly, anything, yeah, anything every less, woman. Yeah. So yeah, so anything less than two is a declining rate, and every, anything over two is an increasing rate. That's correct. Yes, and so you need and you needed about two point one to allow for um, infant mortality. Yeah, and you know, people dying young. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so what's gone on is that uh, you know I was mentioned before that well in when you're poor and when you're in a in a developing economy, you know they often have children to as an insurance policy because they can look after the you know the elderly when they're old and yeah and so they don't have a social security system that can look after the elderly they don't have pensions. Another thing, of course, is birth control. And, you know, once you get wealthier, birth control, you know, you get more educated and you get better access to contraception. Yeah. I mean, the pill, I mean, the you know birth control pill had such a massive impact on fertility and, you know, it allowed, yeah, I mean, you know, greater, greater choice. Uh, but at the same time, it, it wasn't just the pill. It was also the gr- greater opportunities for women, really, in the workforce and- yeah. And we're wealthier, and when you're wealthier, the cost of having children, the opportunity cost of having children increases, right? So you're foregoing a lot more with each with each child that you have. I mean, you're foregoing the opportunity to, to make more money, for example, or, you know, I don't or whatever else, take advantage or have more leisure or go on more holidays. I mean, children can be... Uh, I mean, I don't have any, so I'm I'm not sure. But all the friends, I'm not entirely sure. But all the I, all I the got, friends I've of mine, got three, and I'm 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 getting a little mildly depressed. <laughs> <laughs> but all the all the friends of my all all my friends who who have them. I mean, there's a certain period when you have young children that they just completely dominate your life, and yeah, and so I think that's part of it. I mean, we're choosing to have fewer children because we're wealthier, but at the same time, we're investing more in. In each child that we have, and trying to make that child, you know, so, do as well in life as possible. So, um, 
and, and I'm not mildly depressed by the, the kids by the way. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, but it is, it is funny because you can, uh, it makes just as much sense to say that in a society where there is, uh, you know, a richer society that they have more children because they can afford to. So, you know, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. Uh, but, but the, basically the, the statistics that, um, uh, are there show that, what you're saying is what's happening. So there's there's fewer kids as as the Western countries develop and become more, you know, richer. That uh, that there are that it's a declining birth rate. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So so can I ask you about the uh, the thing Peter Casella came out with a few years ago where he said, "I have one for one for yourself, one for your husband, and one for the one for the country." Yep. Which I dutifully did, I have to say. Very um, good. But so that was um, in view of. Of um, growing Australia, so that was that was the premise behind that. Yeah. Well, partly it was that it was because of the aging population. So, in because around of the baby boomers uh, becoming yeah, the aging population yeah, exactly. Age. And so we had that huge cohort born after the war. Yeah. And then remember, I was saying that in the early sixties, the fertility rate had got up to you know this is just before the pill comes in. Yeah. You know, three point whatever children per woman. I mean, yeah. you know. And this is these these were the days when there were children in every house and at every street, right? You don't yeah. see that anymore. You don't see. I don't think you see as many young children as you once did. And you know that's because of that. We had all of these baby boomers, and then you know fertility rates dropped. So we we didn't really have the. We're not going to have as many people to support each retiree as we once did. Yeah. So and and also people live longer, right? So yeah. once upon a time, you know, people would retire at sixty-five and then maybe live for five more years or something. But now they're they're living ten, twenty, even thirty years more. Yeah, I'll put the I'll try and put the exact data in the the show notes. But so what we see is that um, I think I don't know the exact figures off the top of my head, but we had a I think there was a figure in that IGR, the intergenerational report, where we were saying, well, once upon a time, there were going to be five working age people for every person over sixty five, but then within maybe thirty years' time, there'd only be two and a half or something like that. Okay. So there's a concern about what does that mean for the budget? Can we afford it? Is it sustainable? So the Treasury. Did a lot of modelling, and I, I was part. I was I worked on the second intergenerational report, so I've got okay. a little bit of knowledge in this area. Treasury did a whole lot of modelling of what the budget would look like in forty years' time, and concluded that look, if we don't change something, we're going to end up with this structural, like this baked-in budget deficit equivalent to five percent of your national income, like huge budget deficits because we don't have enough people working. To sustain the, you know, to pay for the pensions, and also to pay for the, the med- you know, the uh, public health system, yeah, right, Medicare. That's one of the big issues. Yeah. So it's going to be expensive to have that aging population basically with a, a smaller workforce to support it. Exactly. But the one way that we've offset it so far, and you can't keep doing this, you can't do this forever because the well, it's migration. So what we've had. Since then, I mean, we did have a, a kick up in the fertility rate un- after we introduced that baby bonus. Whether the baby bonus actually had any impact or not, that's debatable. <laughs> but it, it did occur. You saw this increase in fertility, and I think it got up to 1.9, and there, it was just extraordinary. Like, uh, you'd never see this in a Western country that the fertility rate would actually go the other way. It's usually declining. Yeah. Because if you look at other Western 
countries, you look at France and Italy and Japan, they've got fertility rates below one and a half, right? Yeah. So like, the fact that we're still around 1.8 is pretty respectable. Well, then we're going up for a little bit. We're no longer. So is, is that a driver? Sorry to interrupt, but that would be um, a, a positive driver to encourage um, immigration. Is that right? Like, so that, you know, is, um, that, that's one of the, the, the big benefits of a declining population, that if you can um, open the doors and allow people to come in and work in the country, you keep the population growing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, if you look at why is Australia's population growing at the moment, it's half of it is because there is some natural increase because people, even though a fertility rate has fallen below replacement, because of longevity, because people are living longer, yeah. um, and because that baby boom cohort was just so large, and it you know the ch- the children that they had they then had children and that was a large cohort as well. Yeah, we've had that nat- the natural growth of the population, births minus deaths, that's still been contributing to the population because the people who were dying from the the previous, you know, the the generations before the baby boomers, that they were smaller cohorts. So births minus yeah. deaths uh, has still been contributing to population growth. Now this is going to change when all the baby boomers start dying off. Yeah, and then yeah, you won't really have that natural increase anymore, and we'll be solely relying on immigration. I expect. So so as we get towards that ten billion. 11 billion, like 2100 um, ceiling. As things sort of calm down, then immigration, I imagine, would calm down too. Because one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was like, um, you know, it's a big planet. It's a big, beautiful planet. It isn't infinite, yet our capacity to grow, um, I guess, is what we're talking about. And um, at some point, like we, we're so used to everything growing, sustainable growth, you know, um, buildings, cities growing, immigration um, etc. Like the birth rate may drop, but things generally grow. And so, with sustainable growth, uh, I wanted to ask you if there's such a thing as sustainable shrinking or sustainable downsizing. Like, what does that look like when we're able to say uh, to contract like sustainably instead of just constantly growing? Because I imagine at some point um, the mindset of just growing all the time and you know. Uh, I, I guess you put into that profits, everything growing, 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 growing. At some point, there needs to be some leveling off, which is sustainable and not bad news necessarily. Well, I think we'll we'll have to learn how to live with that, Tim. I mean, I, it is going to be a challenge because our industries have been so used to the ongoing growth. Yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of. It's a mindset, and it's that thing of like, you know, I get it, and like we all get it because we've grown up with it. This is what we're used yeah. to. But at some point, and because this is. You know, like t- talking in terms of twenty one hundred, man, that's that's not far away. Mm. You know, like um, and and so you, you see all these massive decisions as far as the planet goes, and uh, I understand the frustration absolutely of the climate change activists and everything. How people do it, I'm actually really cool with. However, they do it, I think that's up to them. But I mean, I, I, I support something changing, and and one of the problems, of course, um, is the the short term that governments get in for a four-year term isn't enough to see far enough into the future for these kind of questions to be answered which is why it's such a frustrating stance for so many people to you know try and get something happening the UN 
clearly isn't strong enough. And I know I said that this isn't a political platform, which it's not, but it's just a practical one. So how do you think, I'm, I'm not putting this on to you, so you tell me, Gene, it's, it's like, you know, what, what shape will this look like? Because clearly there has to be some coming together of, 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 of clever minds, of uh, purposeful action, you know, of some kind to change the direction we're going in. And even if the population levels out, you know, we need to be mm. in that sustainable position where we can farm sustainably and look after each other and not have a maximum um, population because we're at a critical point where people can't survive beyond that. Sure. So, and, and it's interesting then looking back at how China did, did theirs and you think as draconian as that is and as crazy as that seems, is that what will need to happen, you know, with – you know, okay. How, how does that how does that look like? Well, look, some of this adjustment will occur naturally. the The question is whether it'll occur uh, quickly enough. So the UN's actually predicting that there is a there is some chance. I think it's about twenty to thirty percent. The global population could yeah. actually start declining yeah. between twenty fifty and twenty one hundred, depending on how much those fertility rates drop. So from ten billion in twenty uh, fifty. It could decline from from ten billion. Yeah, right? I think they're basically saying that it it could, um, yeah, it won't end up going to eleven billion or whatever it is. It won't get get up there. It'll sort yeah. of yeah. I'll have to look at the exact. I mean, they're projections, projections but, but yeah, but it's, they're basically not the growth that yeah. it was. And yeah, okay. Yeah, so there's a a big margin for error around these yeah. projections. Tim, we'll probably have to start wrapping it up. Um, one point I would like to make is you mentioned immigration, migration. Sure. That's one of the key issues of discussion at G20, or it was when I was in Treasury and involved in G20 issues. Yeah. Because like all the population growth that we are seeing is occurring in developing economies, really. It's all in, in well, sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. Um, there's still been this population growth in India, uh, some parts of the Middle East. It's not in the developed rich economies. And so what the developing world or, or developing economies want is for more migration, more and uh, often, you know, not, uh, there's permanent migration, but also, you know, making it easier for people to work as guest workers, as temporary migrants. Yep. And so they can send the remittances back to the home country. I mean, that's yeah, okay. become a major source of income for many countries. Um, wherever you go in the Middle East, like I've just been in Saudi Arabia, for example, and there are you know people from India, from Bangladesh, from Philippines, and you know they're sending money back home. I mean, Saudi Arabia is a country that relies a lot upon the the guest workers, and uh, you know well, that's got to do with the nature of the the economy, yeah. um, the fact that they, I mean, they've got a lot of oil wealth, uh, and uh, yeah, the the nature of the society, which means that they they do you know need to rely a lot on uh, you know labour from outside. But I mean, countries which are ageing, which do have declining populations, I mean, they can benefit from that too. Sure. So as a globe, you know, we need to think about you know how we can make it easier for people to migrate for work, and that's something that's been discussed at G twenty. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for example. Yeah. So that I think you know immigration is an important part of oh absolutely the and, adjustment, and it, and it should always be part of the equation. And I think I think uh, you know it is that thing of like it's not straightforward, and uh, at some point 
it needs to be done in a better way, I guess. Absolutely. Tim, I think that's a really good spot to uh, to finish. I'll I'll put a lot of these references in the show notes. I just can't believe how much we've covered today and how much you've got me thinking. And, <laughs> <laughs> so, full of questions, Gene. Full of questions <laughs> and, uh, yeah, lots of good opinions too, Tim. I really appreciate it. So thanks so much. Thanks, Gene. No, I appreciate uh, the time. It's always, it's always fun and interesting and, uh, no, thank you. Good stuff. We've reached the end of another Economics Explained episode, so thanks for listening all the way through. If you're enjoying Economics Explained, please tell your family and friends and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or on whatever platform you are listening on. Finally, if you have any questions, comments or suggestions, please get in touch. My email address is gene.tunny at gmail.com. Until next week, goodbye.